Hey everybody, welcome back to Grey Malkin Lane, the podcast where queer friends and allies gather to review and discuss the original X-Men comics from the 1960s, which sometimes means reviewing Avengers comics as well. Now, in our last episode, we recorded Avengers number 47 uh, with Tony Isabella, which was such a great time getting to know him. Uh, in that issue, we saw Magneto and Toad escape from the stranger's planet by following magnetic rays, uh, and they have taken over the American castle of the scientist Dane Whitman, who becomes the Black Knight in this issue, we will see. Uh, he has imprisoned Dane and his little scientist crony, Norris. Uh, Magneto and Toad have also lured in the Scarlet Witch and Quicksilver. They attacked them and have now restrained them in an attempt to convince them to rejoin the reformed Brotherhood of Evil Mutants. Uh, also, the Avengers are doing a bunch of stuff. We'll talk about some of that today, but less relevant to our podcast because we're focusing these issues primarily on Magneto. So today we're going to be reviewing uh, Avengers number 48 called The Black Knight Lives Again from January 1968, written by Roy Thomas with art by George Tuska. Uh, I'm going to let each of my esteemed guests uh, introduce themselves today. Uh, let us know your gender pronouns, uh, where we might know you from. And then our question today, if you have one, is tell us a crazy gambling story. Let's go in the order of Hussein, Andre, and then Sarah. All right, my name is Hussein Rashid, and thank you, Chad, for having me on. Uh, he, him. Uh, I am a scholar of religion who does a lot with religion and pop culture and coded a book with Jessica Baldanzi on Miss Marvel, uh, which is maybe, so hopefully some of you know me from that because the royalties help, you know, feed me. Um, so let me tell you now, go buy the book. Uh, and a crazy gambling story. So I'm a Muslim. Uh, I, I don't have gambling stories because gambling is haram, like drinking. So no drinking stories from me either. Sorry, uh, y'all. But uh, um, I, I think the craziest story I know about gambling is when we elected Donald Trump and thought it would work out well for the nation. That was a gamble we really should not have taken. Fair. And Hussein, it's, uh, this is one of the first times I've ever had a guest on where we've had the chance to meet before. For our long-term listeners, uh, well, it wasn't that long ago. Uh, Hussein was on our two-part Magneto trial episode series, which was really great. Uh, you brought so many brilliant insights. Uh, it's such an honor to have you back and to spend a little more focused time with you. Uh, Andre, go ahead. Hi, everyone. Uh, my name is Andre Mason. Uh, pronouns are he and him. Um, you've probably heard me on this particular podcast before and others because I like to guest star and just go crazy talking about everything comic book related. So yes, the topic of discussion this week is me being an aging pop culture enthusiast. So that is my claim to fame right now. <laughs> uh, any crazy gambling stories? Um, no, actually, you know what? I don't have many, but the thing is that when I was in college, um, I went to Delaware State University and there was actually a racetrack and casino that was across the highway from the school. So when my 21st birthday hit, I went with just $25 in my pocket and said I would not take my wallet with me. I would not do anything else. And then just ended up losing everything because I didn't take my wallet with me. I could not get home because <laughs> I lost all of the money. <laughs> and um, unfortunately, the people I was with um, also lost all of their money. Um, so we ended up walking um, basically three miles back to the college because there was no transportation to be had at that point. <laughs> and Sarah. Yeah, I'm Sarah Century. Thanks for having me on. I am on a lot of podcasts, um, one of which I guess Cerebro you just brought up. I'm on several episodes of the Cerebro podcast 
And those are pretty fun, but I also have my own podcast, Bitches on Comics. And then there is the uh, Decoded Pride Speculative Fiction Anthology, which is a queer speculative fiction anthology that collects 30 stories every single year. Uh, for the last three years, we might be taking a break this time around, but if you are into queer speculative fiction, you might enjoy Decoded Pride. So check that out. And for gambling stories... Uh, I, I'm a poor person, so I don't usually gamble with money, but I have a bad habit of gambling just because. So I, the most recent is I went to a brewery that I go to all of the time and I took a chance on a beer that I was not sure about, even though I have my perfect beer at this place. I, every time I go, I order the same exact one and it's perfect. And then I was like, you know what? We're doing something else this time. And it was terrible. <laughs> uh and then my name is chad anderson i use he him pronouns uh you guys know me because you listen um i uh i am just slowly revealing little chapters of my life as i answer these questions on this podcast over time when my parents divorced my dad had very little to do with uh, my family after um through my whole adolescence my little sister and i are the youngest but he moved to las vegas uh, where my sister also lived, my oldest sister, and we would go see him for Christmas, for weeks, or summer, for months, uh, and we never saw him. He was never around, but he was a huge, avid gambler. So he'd go to the casinos, and he'd win a bunch of shit, and then he'd just kind of leave it for us on the table, like, go have fun. So we'd have these, like, front row seats to Siegfried and Roy and, like, $100 dinner coupons and vouchers. Uh, and then we'd have like a room in the hotel and I was like a 15 year old. So I, I spent a shocking amount of time in Las Vegas and I would, I'm a people watcher. So I would just observe how badly behaved all of the American tourists are and how shit faced and drunk they would get. Uh, so I, I grew to kind of hate Vegas, <laughs> like the whole culture as I just watched it. Like there's, there's so much just blah there. Uh, I, I actually really hate gambling. <laughs> so so uh, there's a there's a brief gambling moment in today's issue, which is why we bring that up. Uh, uh, Sarah, I'm a huge fan of your work, uh, especially with your bitches podcast. I think it's wonderful. Uh, it's such an honor to have you here to get to know you. Uh, we've been chatting a little bit online, but it's uh, it's great to see you face to face. Uh, Andre, thanks for coming back. Um, uh, Hussein, I. I'm going to give my path to Hussein very quickly. So a couple months back, I recorded an episode all about women in comics. And a few months before that, I was doing research on different uh, female scholars who had written on this topic. And that's where I met people like Jessica Baldanzi and Susan Kirtley. Uh, and I ordered their books and then invited them on to different episodes. Uh, but I started becoming aware of this whole world of literature about comics that I don't think I had really paid attention to. Uh, uh, Hussein and Jessica have put together an incredible book or edited an incredible book with essays on all different kinds of things about why Ms. Marvel is relevant. But then I went back to see uh, uh, Hussein's voice I recognized from the Marvel Voices uh, issue where you had written an essay there and talked about your love of the X-Men. I'm like, oh, we need to talk to this guy. Uh, <laughs> so um, I've read through a lot of your blogs and work. Uh, and Hussein, you have a pretty impressive career at this point. Uh, you open your essay in the Marvel Pride issue, or the Marvel Voices issue, excuse me, kind of talking about what sets you apart uh, from other people as a very unique American, and then kind of lead into uh, your love of the X-Men from there. Can you give us a little bit of your background and history in that space? Yeah, thank you, Chad. So, you know, um, 
I don't know if I'm really a unique American. I come from the attitude that all people in the U.S. are unique, and I think we often forget that. And I think part of my my task, what I was trying to do with that essay, was trying to get into that. Like, why can't we get into that difference? Why can't we appreciate that difference? You know, so I come from a, a Muslim background. My parents migrated, were, were immigrants. I was born in New York. And, uh, you know, I was always sort of the outsider, either because of the color of my skin or because of my religion. Uh, and within that, I'm also a Shia Muslim, which makes me a minority within a minority. So even when I found other Muslims, sometimes it wasn't always the, the right space. And I discovered the X-Men really early on. And I grew up in this, this part of uh, Queens, New York, for those uh, for, for listeners who may know it, called Forest Hills, which has a really large and diverse Jewish community. Um, and it may seem odd, but that's really where I learned about how do you manage diversity, right? So like my best friend was Ashkenazi, Eastern European Jewish, and we would go to these Bukharan Central Asian Jewish music concerts. And I would buy my comics from this Iranian Jewish guy who sold groceries, but had one of those spinner racks with comics on it, right? So we'd go buy our groceries from there and I'd be looking at the comics while, while mom and dad were shopping for groceries. But you know, you're like, oh, there's ways in which you can belong together and still be different, which was really cool for me growing up, you know, when I'm eight, nine years old and discovering comics. And I got the X-Men and I was like, that spoke to my outsider status while really opening up conversations on politics and you know, I think 90% of my vocabulary from this time was all developed from the beast, uh, just because there was a new word every other page. And it was like, here's a dictionary. And, you know, my mom didn't get comics until she saw me with a dictionary next to the comics. And she's like, okay, this is good. You can do this. Uh, so, you know, the X-Men really did a, did a lot for me in terms of thinking through that metaphorically and through abstraction uh, that I was trying to figure out in real life. There, uh, there is, we've talked over and over, uh, there's this place for people to find a voice in the X-Men comics that they didn't often see represented in other places. Uh, Andre and Sarah, did you guys have a similar experience when you first found the X-Men, kind of seeing parts of you or your culture reflected in a place that you hadn't necessarily seen other places? Um, No, honestly. <laughs> um, I had a very different experience when I was introduced to the X-Men um, versus what I had already started to experience from a comic perspective from the rest of the Marvel Universe. Um, because, like Hussein, I grew up in Brooklyn. So, uh, you know, my understanding of who superheroes were that looked like me were also very, very thin. So I couldn't even say I can go to the X-Men to say I could see myself in them because at the time it was only Storm. So I couldn't really say, oh, yeah, that definitely looks like me. And she does. But it was, still wasn't me. So I gravitated to, like, the Night Thrasher end of the spectrum or, uh, you know, like, back, you know, Black Panther, thus the shirt, because these were the people who looked like me. But I think for me, when the X-Men came along, I understood what those concepts were um, growing up in a, you know, a northern Black family, which didn't have the same cadence as um, showing what the discrimination was. Like, it was a very weird dichotomy that I had to learn about and then understood who the X-Men was until about the 90s. I was like, oh, that makes sense. <laughs> to me, I just thought they were like these really cool group that just set separately from the Avengers. Did not get what that meant until later on. So like, I appreciate what that looks like now. Um, you know, the marginalized people and all the metaphors surrounding it. Um, but I still love the X-Men regardless, uh, but I just didn't have the same experience. And sometimes it's weird to explain to somebody. Yeah. And I think that's also because I was raised in the North. Like a lot of people that I 
have come across, the X-Men symbolized something for them, whether it was their escape from whatever harsh reality they were living in, or they saw themselves in certain people. I didn't see that. And it didn't resonate with me at all. I just saw these people who were just fighting the bad guys just a little bit differently. Sarah, how about you? Yeah, I think my experience, I guess, was a little bit different because I was, I'm from Nashville, but I was moved to like rural, kind of like far out rural areas pretty early on. So, and I was, uh, I think around like, you know, 92 or whatever, whenever the cartoon started popping off, I was around it. Like that was when I started buying comics. Like it was right around that same time. And I would have been like nine or 10 years old. So I remember, um, the first comic that I bought was one of, it was like X-Men Unlimited and it was the one that has Storm on the cover. Uh, it was like maybe issue seven or something like that. And um, the story I still remember just being this this amazing dynamic between the X-Men because you had Storm, Jean and Gambit and they all go with uh, Storm to Cairo to uh, deal with like the person who had taught her to be a street thief and like all of that so it's this kind of reconciliation with her past um, and Jean and Storm have this really incredible dynamic between themselves like I, I like comics of that time are heavily criticized for their sexism and I think that that's fair uh, but that comic was amazing and it really stood out to me because it did have this incredible bond between them like Gambit kind of teases Jean a lot through it and is like, you know, thinks that she's very like kind of um, just like an ordinary, like kind of helpless person or something. And Jean stands up for herself, but Storm stands up for Jean too. And so I, I just always remember that issue, I guess, as just being this huge thing. I always read comics. Like I had been reading like Archie comics and stuff like that. But once I got into the X-Men, that was, oh, now I like superheroes. It was like, now I like the greater world of superheroes, I guess. They first appealed to me when I realized the complexity of it. I don't think the idea of found family mm -hmm. or the representation came to me till a little bit later, probably around Ileana's funeral. Like those issues mm -hmm. really, really, mm -hmm. really drove it home for me. But I, I fell in love with X-Force first, with Nicieza's X-Force and the, the character relationships and the diversity of the people. You have this Irish girl who screams and this sword guy from the future. Like just all the, all the different characters mixed together was what really got me. Uh, Hussein, do you remember your first few issues and what characters you tended to relate to most back at the beginning? You know, I'm trying to remember when Sarah said, this is the first one I picked up. And, um, you know, for me, I'm pushing probably about 40 years since I picked up my first comic. Uh, so it's, you know, memory doesn't fail, you know, memory isn't as good as it used to be. But I think one of the earliest stories I remember is when Kitty Pride has just joined the X-Men, she's left alone at the X-Mansion and she meets the Brood, you know, so whenever that was, that's really one of the earliest ones. I think I it's remember. like, uh, number 143. I just reread that randomly. Yes, in the 140s. Yeah, exactly. Because I remember looking at the cover recently. Um, and I remember thinking it was that run as well, where at some point, Kitty does the famous Professor X is a jerk. And I remember thinking, oh, yeah, there's a lot of there's like conflict in here, which is kind of cool, like intra team conflict, uh, which I which I kind of like. For me, you know, uh, those, you know, we're, we're doing this on video. Those who are on video with us and for the listeners, I have a Cyclops backdrop on me. Cyclops is my man. Uh, he is Mine the too, outsider sorry. amongst. Love yeah, <laughs> he's the outsider amongst outsiders. Right. But he's also sort of the you know, the, the quiet guy who sits in a corner and, uh, you know, I, I really get into that. 
Kitty's been one of my favorites. And uh, out of Cyclops, out of Scott Summers, the whole Summers great clan, right? You know, I, I love Rachel. I love Hope. Um, I, I really like Cable. I don't love Cable in the same way. Um, and and Jean, of course, is is a rock star. Um, so those are sort of the characters I, I've sort of been leaning, uh, leaning into over the course of my time with uh, the X-Men. What You say Cyclops is an outsider among outsiders. What do you mean? You know, when I look at Cyclops, he is the head of the X-Men, right? For a really long period of time. But, I mean, people will lay down their lives for him. But if I look at, let's say, Bobby and Hank, Iceman and Beast, right? They're brothers. Warren, Angel sometimes comes into that mix. Jean is, after sort of they get over the object of romantic interest, she becomes the sisterly figure, right? But Scott's never there. He sits somewhere between the boss and the father figure, right? He's not a peer in the same way. And that's obviously out of the OG five, but I think you can do this with almost any other member of the X-Men that they have, you know, Sarah talked about the relationship between Storm and Jean. And I think you can do this for any character except Scott. Ask me who Scott's brother is, you know, not physical brother, let me leaving Havoc and Vulcan aside, uh, right? But he doesn't have that found family. He's, he's responsible. He sees them as his family, but he's not an equal in that family, right? Like if you want me to do that network, who's the brother, who's the sister, it doesn't work for Scott. No, like he doesn't have the same interpersonal relationships. And I've, I've actually yeah. had that conversation with someone before, like he doesn't have that go-to person. Yeah, He doesn't have that person that you, you can see they've constructed a relationship, like a personal relationship with outside of his romantic relationships. Like that man is defined by his poor, <laughs> his poor romantic decisions sometimes but not about what his life is like there's no yeah. one there so that that goes back to that burden that he always would carry that i need to be yeah. the leader i can't be your brother i can't be your husband i can't be your father i have to stay on the outside because if not i compromise a lot of who i am as a person exactly and i, I think yes andre i agree with you 100 and i also really love jay edited in snapshot where she canonically makes scott summer's neurodivergent Mm-hmm. But where I'm like, yep, that's it. That explains 99% of his body. Not yep. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. We uh we're gonna do a trial of Cyclops one day, and I'll be sure to invite all of you if you'd like to come. Please. But Please. uh <laughs> uh we just reviewed the backstory where he first meets Professor X in just a, a couple episodes ago. And uh Scott is an orphan. He's on the run in New York City. He gets picked up by that character, Jack of Diamonds, who mm-hmm. takes him to an atomic plant and is forcing him to commit crimes. Professor X shows up and uh and makes Scott activate a machine that results in the death of Jack of Diamonds. He blows up basically. And the first thing Professor X says is like, well, we couldn't help it. He had to die. But let me take you back to the mansion. I want to make you lead my team now. It's <laughs> like this like child grooming by murder approach. I was like, holy shit, I forgot that happened. <laughs> so we'll have a we, forget lot they, we forget that they were teenagers. We, we clearly forget. Yeah, yeah, yeah. When you stack it all up, it's unfortunate. <laughs> and again, Kitty is right. Professor X is a jerk. I, at the end of the day, that's all we could come to. Now, Hussein, you've done a number of uh, scholarly writing on not only Muslims in the United States, but also superhero 
portrayals of Muslims in comic books and uh, uh, lots of other different things. Uh, now, I want to be clear for our readers. There's a lot of people out there that are not super familiar with Muslim or Muslim culture, Muslim religion. It represents such a wide swath of the world's population from different cultures and different sects. You can't stack up Christianity and have everybody look the same. It's not. There's so many different variations on all of this. And I think often when we see Muslim characters portrayed in comic books, it's not done by people who have a shared cultural experience and is not often done well. Uh, in the X-Men, for example, there are very few portrayals of characters from Muslim backgrounds, Dust being the most primary and Sabra kind of being connected in some ways. Um, let me hear a little bit of your thoughts and then we'll transition into Miss Marvel after this. Let me hear a little bit of your yeah. thoughts on the portrayal of Muslims in comic books and in X-Men, both the same. Yeah, I, I absolutely, Chad. So you, you're right. There's such a diversity of ways of being Muslim. And I, and I think, you know, you don't have to get everyone right. You know, I think Marvel broadly has had a mixed bag. I don't think you need to be Muslim to write well about Muslims. You mentioned dust. I think Grant Morrison really did a bang-up job doing research on who Dust is as an Afghan woman and trying to nail that. I think it didn't translate well. Like, if you want me to, if you want to ask me about the religious elements that he gets right, he gets right. The cultural context, you know, the way she's being treated by the Taliban when she's rescued by Wolverine, you know, yeah, yeah. Uh, and the way she's drawn, right? But again, that's not necessarily on Morrison. That's, that's obviously on the artist. Um, and she gets taken in different, you know, various different directions, but you've also got Justice, Josiah X, a black captain of America, uh, right, who is a minister with the Nation of Islam for uh, a minute, uh, which is, um, I think, really important because that's, I think, you know, in the 60s and 70s, that's really how people think of Muslims is through the black community in this country. And rightfully so, right? I mean, African-American black Muslims, because it's African and African-American black Muslims represent well over a third of Muslims in this country. They are by far the largest racial grouping of Muslims in this country, bar none. Um, right, with a history that goes back to, you know, 1619, right? We can trace it back that far. So this is not something that is not known and, and really should be part of the story of, of Muslims in America in a much greater way. Um, but then he sort of gets left by the wayside, which I feel is a real shame. And then we get uh, Monet. I, I, you know, oh, sure. you want to bring it into the X Men, the the post nine eleven issue, right? You want to come after Muslims? Well, I'm a Muslim, and Guido Strongman is like, I'm a Muslim too, and Monet's like, No, you're not. <laughs> and it's sort of like, you know, you want to talk about the most awkward, forgettable, and it is forgotten after that panel. Literally in the same issue, it's forgotten after that panel that she says she's Muslim, right? Uh, Monet Saint Croix, Monet. St. Cross is a Muslim. What? Uh, you know, and then you sort of let it alone. So, um, yeah, it, it's been uneven. It's, you know, I think there's a lot of work that can be done to recover this. And I, you know, Marvel, if anybody from Marvel is listening, I've got the Marvel Eve issue planned out in my head that will recover all of these characters in really fun ways. So give me a call. Uh, <laughs> Chad's got my number. Uh, and then, you know, we hit Miss Marvel. And, uh, you know, I think having Willow Wilson, who is Muslim, uh, writing it, having an editor, Sanaa Manat, behind it, who's Muslim, is huge. Um, it's the banners obviously been picked up by Saladin Ahmed and now Samira Ahmed, uh, who are both fantastic writers in their own way. They take it in very different directions. 
And Saladin, you know, brings in this character amulet now um, with Sarah Al-Khagi, who, who designed the character. Um, and I think you're starting to see that depth of, you know, different ways of exploring what it means. And Wilson's run was fantastic, right? Because you get different, different nationalities, different ethnicities uh, of being Muslim, different schools of thought, real religious life being present in ways that are really visceral, right? Like, I, I don't know how much of it is legible to people who aren't part of the community, but people who are part of the community, like there's things that you're going to see that you're not going to see otherwise, you know? Um, and so part of what my research has been and part of the book that Jessica and I did was looking at Miss Marvel and trying to surface some of that and making some of that stuff legible in ways that maybe it wouldn't be unless you knew what to look for. Ms. Marvel, if uh, if you haven't read it, is revolutionary right from the first issue. Not only do you see a diverse representation of characters, but just looking at her family, her brother, her parents, uh, and how she relates to each of them, how she relates to her Muslim community and to her non-Muslim community. And she's just the most delightful, fanficy, lovely character. Uh, she's wonderful. That carries just the weight of the world on her shoulders. Uh, I, I adore the the work that has been done with this character. And there's a reason that she has translated so well to wider audiences, I think, because they did it so smartly. Uh, tell us about the decision to put out a book on her and how that book has been received. So the decision was Jessica's. Jessica's my co-editor on this volume, and I'm, I'm sorry she couldn't be with us today. But Jessica... And then just um, for our listeners, so Jessica Baldanzi uh, was the uh, the professor who was on with us for the uh, the discussion on women panel that we had uh, a few months back. So yeah, please proceed to say. So yeah, no, so Jessica comes, you know, I, I come at this from a religious studies background, Jessica comes at this from an English and conflict background. And she wanted to put together this volume on, um, on Miss Marvel, and she actually reached out to somebody who's a mutual friend of both of ours, who directed Jessica to me, Shabana Mir is her name. Shabana directed Jessica to me. And we had an initial conversation. We lived, you know, relatively close to each other. Uh, she happened to be in town. We got together for coffee. We had a great conversation. And what we said was that this book is going to be about Miss Marvel, but what this book is is about the humanities, right? Because otherwise, why do you get an English scholar and a religious studies scholar together? And it's like, what what is it about Kamala Khan slash Miss Marvel that makes her human that allows us to to that that get people excited about her, right? And so we have in the book. You have me doing actually stuff on immigration studies, um, but you have people doing stuff on her clothing, um, stuff on her family, stuff on her religion, which is not me, stuff comparing her to dust. So really looking at her there's, as a multifaceted person. Yeah, there's even an essay on her, like the portrayal of technology. Uh, it, it, it's, it's a really smart book. Yeah. I, I learned a lot. It, it, it examined yeah. it from a lot of different perspectives. We have somebody doing the fanfic portion and audience reception. You know, I, I mean, our, our first of all, our contributors are fantastic. They're brilliant in their own right. They were such a joy to work with. I, you know, I know we've only got a little amount of time, but I, I need to thank all of them. I won't thank them by name, but I, I thank all of them for the work they put into this. And, and but it was really about fleshing out as a human being. So this is a book about the humanities that uses Miss Marvel as the entry to get into the humanities. So what does it mean to study the humanities? Well, it's about studying clothing. It's about studying religion. It's about studying sociology. It's about studying technology and role of technology in people's life. It's about talking about people's fanfic. It's about talking about audience and how they love. So all of that is in this book. The essays we really aimed for, we really wanted this to be um, approachable. It is on an academic press. It's on University Press of Mississippi, but our goal was really to make it very readable and approachable. And, and hopefully people who are fans would pick it up and say, oh yeah, I learned something new about Miss Marple in this. Um, so that was sort of the, how the story behind it, what had happened. We had one of our contributors actually do a mini comic uh, one page mini comic, which ends out the book on the impact of Miss Marvel 
uh, you know, about somebody talking about seeing him, the 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 artist writer, uh, reading Miss Marvel on a book. Or no, him observing somebody reading Miss Marvel on a, on a train, and just you know, it's that very human moment. So it was a really nice way to end out the book to end it with a comic. Yeah, it's it's really it's really great. Are your students? I know you teach a lot. Are your students aware of your love of comic books? Oh yeah, we bring it up all the time, and and I always get a great reaction. I used to teach a course on religion and popular culture, which I need to bring back. But in that, we used to teach. I used to teach Days of Future Past, um, because it was a great way to talk about, you know. And we talked a little bit about this on the Charlie Magneto podcast, right? But for me, philosophically, never again is not a statement; it's an action. Right, it's a way of being in the world, and so how do you take that seriously without potentially the re-traumatization of the Holocaust and discussing the Holocaust? And basically, future past is a really great way uh, of approaching that, right? To to deal with actual history and potential history. So yeah, my students love it; they know it. I haven't had a chance to teach this book yet, but a lot of my colleagues have, and they say it teaches really well. And they're really enjoying it. So we keep giving our our, our listeners uh, little plugs, like just hang in. Claremont will come in eventually. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so much better. <laughs> That's uh, right. I keep forgetting Days of Future Past doesn't happen for another comic real life for another thirty years. Yeah, yeah. It's not until right, or twenty five years. Yeah, twenty five. Yeah, it's not until the eighties. Uh, uh, Sarah and Andre, what questions do you have for Hussein? Sorry. Yeah, I was curious because I have a I'm a huge fan of Miss Marvel as well, so I'm kind of just blown away I guess at how much that book took off and how it found this home with a lot of people because I was late to the party like normally with comics I'm not but I didn't even really hear about it because I was like oh that seems very like YA or something of course you pick up like the first issue and you're like weep being it's like a beautiful yeah. comic g willow wilson is like one of the best writers i've ever read in my life everything that she goes near is incredible um but i love it so much and i appreciate that you were talking about the fan fiction elements of that character because i think that that's really important and that's a thing too that makes a lot of people resonate with her because there is such a a world for fan fiction so I was curious, was that something that was very intentional from your side to discuss or to kind of tap into with the book? Or was it something that came along later? So when we put together this anthology, Sarah, we basically put out a call. We reached out to a few people we knew who were into this. So I, I just come off contributing a chapter to a book called Muslim Superheroes, um, which is a, a bigger book about representation of Muslims in comics. So I edited a chapter in that. So I reached out to some of the contributors there and the editors who have chapters in here. And then we sort of did that network effect. So I went through that network, Jessica went through her network and we started getting in these proposals. And to be honest, I don't remember Jessica or I explicitly talking about fanfic until we saw this one proposal that we got, which is then ended up as a chapter in the book. And we're like, it's so obvious, right? Because essentially what we're doing is we're writing our, our love song to, to this character and it's, it's not fanfic, but it kind of is fanfic and it's on an academic press. So <laughs> uh, you know, <laughs> this, uh, I guess it's not narrative in the same way, but yeah, I, once we saw it, we're like, how, could, how do we not think about this? And yes, this should be front and center. Um, and, and just that I've been talking about what, well, what comes next? Cause uh, our book is limited to the Wilson's first run, the first 19 issues through the end of days. Uh, and obviously we have Solomon's work to go through. We have now Samir's work. Hopefully we'll have a corpus. We're like, oh, it'd be nice to revisit this and see, you know, could we get a few more things on fanfic? Cause I think, what is she writing 
right? I think it's the big question in these fanfics. Like we get little bits and pieces and I'm like, is this a commentary on the, her life and the story we're reading, right? So are the, are the writers and the editors giving us commentary about what they're actually writing? I'd love to do that, you know? Awesome. Uh, Andre, did you have a question? Yes, because um, actually he hit the nail on the head with uh, his chapter in the book um, that I actually read, which was very uh, satisfying in so many ways because you don't see that, that type of dialogue happen about uh, different religions and, and comic books. Um, but to that point, um, there was a conversation about uh, the differences in who Miss Marvel is. Is she considered an immigrant versus yeah. being a natural-born American and how important those two aspects are to her character? So I think, yeah, my, thank you. My, yeah my question would be like, how important is that to kind of make that differentiation in that in that book? Yeah, thanks, Andre. Thank you for reading the book. And thanks for shit. Uh, <laughs> you know, but uh, yay, somebody read the thing. Uh, <laughs> it is, uh, you know, for me, the reason that's important is, you know, I'm coming out of this, and I think you probably have the same memory I do, but just based on the conversation we were having before we started recording. When Christy Yamaguchi, right, gold medalist, ice skating for the U.S., uh, won her medal, somebody, some commentator made this comment um, uh, about her being Japanese. Mm -hmm. And he had to be corrected. Like her family had been in the U.S. for four generations at that point, right? She was multi-generational American. And um, Judge... Ito, who was overseeing the O.J. Simpson trial, right? People were talking about, does he get the American system because he's Japanese? And again, same thing, he's multi-generational American, right? Mm -hmm. And there's this idea, you know, the question is, when do you stop being an immigrant, mm -hmm. right? And, and, and I think that's what I was trying to struggle with is there's a, there's a very factual, I immigrated to this country, which is something like my parents could say, right? Versus somebody ascribing me being an immigrant. Right. And I, again, this doesn't happen if you're a New Yorker. Nobody says that to you. Right. But the second you leave New York, people are like, oh, where did you come from? Yeah. <laughs> right. Yes. Like, you know, it's you know, I um, I remember very vividly flying like the first weekend after we could fly after September 11th because I had to go to a family funeral. I was traveling with my U.S. passport because I was like, I'm not messing with nothing. I'm bringing my passport with me. And. I remember being stopped. This is before TSA, right? We had state state police where I was flying out of Boston. It was my message to state police who were, who were doing security. He was like, okay, where's your passport from? The United States. Is it? I'm like, like it's like on the cover. Right? It's a blue passport with the United States on Like, I don't know what to tell you. He's like, okay, <laughs> where are you from? Where are you coming from? And I was like, Somerville, which is the suburb I was living in at the time. He's like, no, no, where were you from before? And I'm like, New York? He's like, no, where are you from originally? Queens? He's like, no, no, where were you born? Queens? Mm -hmm. Oh, what does it say in your passport? It doesn't because I was, I'm a natural born U.S. citizen, right? Like I had to explain this to him, right? This, by the way, was a black state trooper, right? So, I mean, I, you've got to understand, like, this is about white supremacy operating at all these different levels and mm -hmm. just permeating our institutions. And so for me, that's what's important about Kamala Khan is that she doesn't mess with that. Like, I think it's important to recognize her parents are immigrants and she struggles in that world of being the child of immigrants. 
but that that doesn't define her. Other people are defining her that way. And I think that's what I love about that character is she's not dealing with that angst of, you know, in the early issues, Zoe's sort of that concern troll, the blonde haired blue eyed. Oh, aren't you people like this? And aren't you people like that? And she's just like, whatever, I've got other things to do. You know, and I, I love that. Like, here it is, I'm stating it and then moving beyond it. And that to me what was, is what was important about that chapter. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. Because it's, it's a question of when someone asks me where I'm from, it's like, are you asking my nationality or where I was born? Because I was born in New York. <laughs> right. It's a different conversation of what you're asking me. If you're asking me what my nationality is, that's a vastly different question. And you can just yeah. say that, which where are you from is an open-ended question. It's people, I think, yes. And I think it's people just sort of saying the only people who belong here are white people, right? Mm-hmm. And I, I, I hate to make it my race, but it is at the end of the day, right? Uh, to, to our earlier conversation, I'm approaching the half century mark and I know it's about <laughs> race, right? Uh, and, uh, you know, I, I've lived enough of that life. Um, and, and I think it's just about saying like, if you're not white, you're from somewhere else, right? And, it's, I, and I'm sick of that. Because we're all colonizers to a certain extent. Let's let's accept that and move on. Yeah. Right? And figure out a way out of that impasse. I should say move on because obviously it has ongoing impacts. But you know, let's let's figure out a way of what that means now next for us, rather than trying to say, oh, we're the OG colonizers, so we have claim to this land and you're not. You know, mm-hmm. you're here as a guest on our land. It's like not quite how that works. Yeah, when the entire country was founded on immigration. It just right. <laughs> just goes out the window but yes please yeah. thank you thank you uh i and and the parallel to the x-men always being here's the place where we're supposed to feel like we belong in a comic book world right as long as right. you are part of us uh you are you are part of our nation is kind of the the trend we get now but previously it was part of our family uh they don't always do that well <laughs> but uh I, then you go to a place where you know whatever percentage of the planet is supposed to be uh mutant but still the majority are are white americans <laughs> we, we have a lot more stories to tell always um but yeah ms marvel gets it right in so many ways i think it captures that so voice so and that experience of the outsider uh being a completely normal person from a completely normal family uh, normal being the operative word in quotes, obviously, but we are all diverse and we are all rich and we all have character and we all deserve to feel safe with each other. And that's what the country regularly touts itself to be, but rarely gets right. You know, I think right. um, all of us have in this space have been othered in some way. I'm a white guy, but I'm gay. So not the same experience by any means. I don't get asked where I'm from. Uh, mm-hmm. But I get asked things like, so which one of you wears the dress between my partner and I? And that, you know, it's the it's the ongoing uh, it's the ongoing struggle to belong. I don't know. We uh, we are all in our uh, over 30 years. That's all. <laughs> and, and I'm watching I'm watching my children still kind of figure that out in, in today's younger generation. They have a whole language for it, but there's still that where do I feel? fit my family's different than other families kind of space you know and it's something that we still continue to wrestle with but the uh the dialogue is out there in ways it never has been before yeah mm-hmm. um Hussain, we'll be uh we'll be showcasing your book a little bit uh as we do some posts around this episode uh is there anything else you'd like to plug or talk about before we shift over to the um the uh issue review 
No, I, look, I'm so happy you brought up that Marvel's Voices piece. I, I just need to shout out Anjali Crochet, who invited me to do that piece. Um, and I'm so grateful for that, uh, to fly my my uh, Cyclops flag uh, over that span of time. So. <laughs> I, uh, I worked on the Marvel handbooks for years. And for those that want to look it up, this isn't a former lifetime. This is actually before I came out of the closet. But they ran a small profile of me in the back of the X-Men 2008 Messiah Complex handbook, I think is what it is. I'd have to go find it. And there's a little there's a little biography on me in the back. And there's an image of me pulling my shirt open, like Clark Kent, Captain America style. Uh, and I remember the like the legit feeling of like holy shit i'm in a marvel comic book and, uh, <laughs> i imagine when you get your you have your name on that uh that issue and that essay did you get that sense of like ah uh, oh my god i was like jumping up and down in the hallway i was like i got published on marvel and my uh my <laughs> younger kid who's who's really into comics is like wait are you in a book and i was like no and they were like okay I'm like, but I was Marvel Voices. It's legit. I promise you. It's a Marvel.com. I got a check from Marvel. <laughs> or Disney, but yeah. Oh, I love it. Uh, with that, let's transition into our uh, our issue review for today. Now, again, I mentioned earlier, this is not a super X-Men focused story, but in the, uh, in the appreciation of comprehensivity, I decided to include it because it's a Magneto story. Uh, and this is the middle part. This one out of the three parts, it, we, we're covering Avengers 47 through 49. This one is the least Magneto, but it's still part of the story as we transition from one into the next. Uh, so I appreciate everyone's uh, <laughs> patience as you are being asked to read non-X-Men books. Like, what? Uh, this is an Avengers. Why would I read the Avengers? Uh, as we uh, as we step into this, we want to realize very quickly, I mentioned this in our last episode briefly, but for older readers of the comics uh, back in the 60s, you've seen the Scarlet Witch and Quicksilver on the Avengers for quite some time now. They've been around since Avengers 16. And you know, for readers, there must have been constant letters going and saying, when are they going to fight Magneto? When Ma When's Magneto going to come try to take them back? And this is the this is the run where that happens. We've seen Quicksilver slowly become more bigoted over the last several issues of Avengers. Roy Thomas is writing this. He wrote the X-Men for years, obviously, and was the editor uh, of so many books after that. But uh, Quicksilver slowly becoming more like, do humans deserve my support over time? Uh, Wanda is still very much the damsel in distress, unfortunately, a lot of the time. But this is so early on in their character history. So many characters, the vision hasn't even come around yet, right? Like there's still a lot of things that have to happen for these characters over time. And this is before they knew Magneto was their father. Uh, so as we look at the issue, tell us your thoughts on the cover. We have this kind of gorgeous image by George Tuska of the Black Knight riding into combat with the Avengers kind of frame behind him. The Black Knight, of course, is a long-term Marvel character, uh, but this is his first appearance uh, as the Black Knight. Um, tell me your thoughts on this cover. I kind of like it. You know, I think, so the way it's framed is the Black Knight's just like smack in the middle. He's larger than the other characters. You know, you've got Hawkeye tumbling off behind him on one side and what is what is Pym going by at this point? Is he giant man at this point? He's Goliath. He's point. giant man right now, I believe, but I'm going to double confirm. Yeah, so you've got him, you know, you've got Pym and one of his guys is sort of behind, uh, sort of reaching out to, to the Black Knight on his winged steed, and then you've got um, uh, the Wasp sort of flying in front. Uh, I just love it because it shows, you know, he's the, the, the Black Knight is... is uh, the man, he controls this narrative at this point. 
Um, considering how little he shows up in the book, actually, it's kind of impressive. Yeah, yeah. Oh, he is going by Goliath right now, but he also uses the name Ant-Man in this book. Yeah, my yeah, that's why I was like, he was something, yeah. yeah. Yeah, I think Clark called, called him Mountain Man at one point in this Ma issue. Yeah. <laughs> like, we don't know what your name is. Just like pick one and stay with it. <laughs> He's got like eight. It's fine. Yeah. Um, the Avengers team at this point, we've got uh, Captain America quit last issue. So we've got Hank Pym, who's Giant Man, and also Ant Man. He can shrink and talk to Wa or talk to ants, and he can grow to giant size. We've got Wasp, who's the heiress Janet Van Dyne which for many X-Men fans, she's most infamous for uh, inspiring the House of M when she reminded Wanda that she had babies she'd forgotten about. Uh, Wasp is uh, a character hated by many, but I actually really love her. She's the flying socialite back then. Uh, and then we also have uh, Hercules kind of off to the side. Hercules is the literal Olympian god who recently in the comics has been revealed to be bisexual. Uh, he's looking yummy in this issue. We'll talk about that in a minute. And then lastly, we've got Hawkeye. Hawkeye is Clint Barton. We know him from all the Avengers movies. He's back in his classic purple with his bow and arrow. Uh, so it is not the strongest version of the Avengers team by any means with Quicksilver and the Scarlet Witch off to face Magneto. He, uh, he, can kind of easily defeat this team if he really wants to. Uh, Sarah, did you have any thoughts on the cover before we jump in? I love this cover. I think um, all of the classic Avengers covers, they're just classic. They're so good. I love this one. This is, mm, yeah, I could care less about Black Knight, I guess, overall. He's a fun character sometimes, but here it makes me think I'm going to care. I look at this guy just springing forward, this is this is the stuff I love. I love the Avengers actually of this era, kind of like a little bit later, actually. I'm not like a big Roy Thomas person, but like after Roy Thomas leaves the book, I think the Avengers actually get pretty fun. So I don't know. These classic covers are just unbeatable, you know. I'm gonna give just a very brief continuity in which could be a whole two-hour episode if we made it, but this isn't not an Avengers podcast. Back during the King Arthur era, Merlin used a meteor from space with some crazy metal inside, and he forged uh, a blade, more than just a blade we've learned recently, but there's an ebony blade which has some darkness to it. Any wielder of this ebony blade will turn toward the darkness and want to, you know, covet blood, blah, blah, blah. That's a huge part of the Black Knight ethos. We don't even see it here. Uh, there, there are ancient references to Sir Percy of Scandia, who was the first Black Knight. Again, that's not seen here either. So what we see in the recent comics back in the 60s is there's a supervillain named Nathan Garrett who goes by the Black Knight. He's part of the original Masters of Evil. He has a power lance that shoots lasers. It's not even really clear why he calls himself on the, the Black Knight, but he has also learned how to graft wings onto horses and he flies those around. <laughs> his last appearance prior to this issue was in tales of suspense number 73 in which he is mortally wounded and in this issue we find out what happens to him so dane whitman who turns out to be his nephew just appeared in the last issue for the first time this is the issue where he becomes the black knight so there's just a little bit of backstory uh Hussain, do you want to take the first five pages kind of tell us what happens and we'll break it apart a little bit yeah absolutely so we are in dane whitman's family castle or a castle that Dane Whitman has some connection to because he's been captured there. And we open up beautiful full page on this comic. I love this. It's uh, oh, Wanda and Pietro are, are bound uh, with their hands up, almost like a, um, you know, like they're manacled to the wall. Toad is at Wanda's feet.
be, I'm assuming, tying her up or maybe tying her laces. I don't know what Toad does uh, that low to the ground. And this, I love this pose. Magneto is standing there shaking his fist over his head. It just looks like a cartoon slash action figure pose. You're like, I don't know how to pose a real human being. Let me see what my G.I. Joes will do. And sort of like the legs are splayed out. His fist is over his head. And um, he, he's yelling. Um, he's trying to get them to, he's trying to get uh, uh, Quicksilver and the Scarlet Witch to come over and join him again. Toad is saying, no, kill them, kill them, please. Because I'm the one who's loyal to you. I got to say, this gets tired really quickly with Toad, but we can do a separate thing on Toad later. <laughs> we then go on. We find out, uh, or uh, Magneto says, yes, I've come back to Earth. I was drawn here by some magnetic beam. So picking up on, you know, Magneto was jettisoned to space with Toad. They've now come back following this magnetic signal that's come. Uh, Magneto's bragging about how powerful he is, uh, both in terms of his magne- magnetic abilities, as he's smashing suits of armor everywhere, and his physicality as he punches through a wooden table, random stack of lumber. I don't know what it is, but it's a big chunk of wood he's punching through. Um, I mean, it is an old castle. And, you know, Pietro says to him, oh, I actually think you're right. Humans are worthless. I will join you. Um, as Wanda is saying, no, we won't. And, and so that causes Magneto to say to Toad, leave them be and let them fight. Let them, let them discuss this at the market. So they leave. And Pietro reveals that, oh, no, in fact, I can get out of one of these manacles. And so he, it looks to me like he sort of super vibrates his hand out of that man, like it was loose. And then he sort of does a shaky, shaky and comes out of it. Um, and he has a, 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 a mini radio in his belt that apparently nobody searched for. The Master of Magnetism did not sense this piece of metal on Quicksilver. So he pulls it out and he calls Avengers Mansion to call for help. Toad goes to seize them and, and goes to report them. And then uh, we cut over to Jarvis in Avengers Mansion. Um, uh, or is this Avengers Tower? It's Avengers Tower at this point. Sorry, it's not Avengers. No, it's, a, it's still the mansion. It's still the mansion, right? Okay. Yeah, I love Jarvis, by the way. I'll just toss that out. He's my favorite I love Avenger. you, Jarvis. I, I think he should have been the head of the Avengers for many years, but that's, you know. Uh, so uh, uh, Jarvis hears the phone ringing, and he's like, ah, Quicksilver and Scarlet Witch are on phone duty. I don't need to answer the phone. It sort of walks out, which I love. He's like, I, I got a contract. I get paid for eight hours a day. It's my eight hours. <laughs> I am leaving. And I'm like, Jarvis, I want your union and I want to join it now because straight up, that's the way it should be. You got your eight. That's it. That's all you get paid for. Uh, Clint is miserable and mopey because he's gotten into a fight with Black Widow and refusing to sign people's autographs. And people are like, it's okay. He's not a real Avenger anyway. I want Captain America to sign my my autograph book, uh, which I think is just hilarious. Um, and then we turn to uh, Jarvis again, still hearing the phone and saying, oh, Quicksilver and Scarlet Witch are picking it up. I may as well pick it up. Dude, bill overtime. Charge the time and a half on this one. Picks up. Hears from uh, uh, Quicksilver that he's been captured. And uh, Jarvis then sends out an alert to Janet and Hank Pym, uh, Hank, Janet Van Dyne and Hank Pym, who are somewhere, this is our gambling institute, where they're somewhere losing a lot of money to a cheater. Man, I, I mean, you've got that much wealth, please do a Scott McKenzie, give it away to somebody other than the house. You know, just my two cents. 
So if we jump back to page one for just a second, uh, and and you know, Sarah and Andre, feel free to kick in here. What do you think of the portrayal of these four classic X characters in this issue? Um, <laughs> you have to love the era of these comics because there is just something so special about just the dialogue and just like the posturing of it all and just it, it just I mean they're dated you got you, you have to understand that but I think seeing these four characters kind of exist in this world where uh especially you know Magneto saying hey I just got back from space I don't know who these Avengers are like screw them I'm like I'm only worried about me and getting you guys back I think that's still Magneto still to this day like you can care less about anything else but like I think seeing them in this very different moment um especially when they don't know their familial connections yet it's odd like I there were moments where I thought that he was literally going to beat them senseless to rejoin them <laughs> like it's 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 so interesting to see this this dynamic like toad being ever loyal but still getting beat up for it you've forgotten how important i am to you god damn it listen to yeah. me, <laughs> like you. i'm i'm the one who's here not them like why are you worried about that like it's it's always yeah. sad. <laughs> sarah any thoughts oh yeah of course i love <laughs> love their outfits oh my god mm -hmm. this is quicksilver looking good like this is wanda costume looking good they look amazing i love their costumes magneto looks amazing toad kind of looks great i mean i'm gonna give it to him you know like he can have it and i think too i mean this is classic hawk hawkeye costume all of these costumes are incredible i agree about jarvis like i think that jarvis deserves time off and you were talking earlier about how not that many people love Janet Van Dyne. Janet Van Dyne is one of my favorite characters, but I'll say this. Do you know who does like Janet? Jarvis. Because I bet that Janet is the person who was like, you should unionize. <laughs> <laughs> not everybody gets to. The X-Men don't get to. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I love the outfit. I thought that every single one of them looks great. I also think that they're really fun here. I mean, Pietro is... Pietro, but he is also kind of, you know, yeah, sure. Like we hate the humans too. Like we'll do it. And then Wanda is the one who's kind of like, what are you doing? <laughs> Which I think is fun. I don't know. I had a lot of fun with this. I mean, Magneto's hilarious because he's like, um, you have to, you have to read it to know because he's just like pointing and then throwing. And then every scene, he's so dynamic in his anger that I'm just like, I mean, this guy's fun. <laughs> <laughs> I, uh, I'm going to ask this question. And I'm wording it this way on purpose. What do you love about the toad? The toad? Oh, because he, well, first of all, he changes every Every time he shows up right so who knows what this guy's gonna be now he's kind of doing the same old thing right i saw i just read trial of magneto and was like oh this is a toad i haven't seen in a long time <laughs> okay because he's doing exactly this and i was like i don't know if this is even in character anymore and then i'm like i look at this and i'm 
Like this is somebody who read that this appearance, frankly, because he's doing exactly this in Trial of Magneto. He changes all of the time. Like he changes his entire personality. I could definitely leave the incel part of him, like the part where he's kind of like too about Scarlet Witch for a long time is gross. And then he kind of does it to Husk for a little while. You know, like there's these weird, weird times with him where I think that writers are just like doing too much, you know? But it's like, just chill with Toad and Toad would be really fun. He hangs out with the blob, like, you know, like later, not right now. Well, I guess now, but these are fun guys whenever you, when writers aren't trying to make them like the skeeviest, right? Like they're pretty enjoyable. I like the henchmen. I like these guys who are never going to win. They're just kind of like, I just show up to mess with the X-Men because I like, I'm in love with Magneto or whatever, you know? So that's what I like about the toad. <laughs> Audrey, what do you like about the toad? Um, I love his unwavering loyalty. I think that's one thing that he has shown. Like when he loves you, he loves you. Like he's going to be there for you. I think regardless of who it is, like it, it could have been Magneto. It could have been Wanda. It could have been, uh, you know, Paige Gunther, whoever he was in love with. Like, he's like, I'm going to be loyal to you. I also enjoy, I don't know where it came from, and I don't think I've ever got an explanation for it. I love his original outfit, like the court jester mm-hmm. type of look. And I mean, I know he was from from England, and, you know, that that is, I guess, part of his culture in a way. Um, but I've always loved that kind of flaring <laughs> collar that he has that looked like a big rose petal around his neck. I loved it. Um, but yeah, that's what I think I love about him. Like, I think his, his loyalty is one of his defining qualities. Hussein? I, I don't know if I, if I love the toad. <laughs> I, I, I do love when he gets complex, though. You know, there was a run, and I'm totally blanking because he was such a secondary character in it, but he was basically a custodian on the X-Mansion for a while. Yeah, in the right, Wolverine where, and the X-Men where, series, at the Jean Grey series. Was the Wolverine and X-Men series? Yeah, it was okay. Um, you know, and I love that. And I think that's, you know, the reference to Paige Guthrie and all that. But I think there's a lot of complexity to him that gets developed there that I actually really, really liked, you know, in terms of his story. Um, in terms of his outfit, you know, I always read him as uh, a Shakespearean Caliban figure, right? Mm-hmm. You know, he's always that sort of, you know, it's not always forced, but he seems to enjoy love through domination. Right. Uh, you know, okay. So let me take that back. When it comes to his romantic interests, it's really, it's always one sided, obviously. But, you know, it, it always seems to be very unattainable with his non romantic devotion. I don't know, whatever you call I, I, I'm Again, I'm not entirely convinced it's not romantic with Magneto either. Right? There's, you know, but it feels much more like he wants to be in servitude, not necessarily in partnership. Mm-hmm. So we're going to be doing the trial of the toad in a few months, which means I have to do all my research early. And I've been reading a <laughs> shit ton of toad comics and there's a lot wrong with this character. But for the purpose of today, I'll, I'll summarize my thoughts another time. Let me share four facts really quickly. Uh, he rarely gets a lot of character development. The place he seems to get the most is in Fabian Nicias' X-Men Forever series. If you guys remember that many, we yeah. learned three things about him there. Number one, he's an orphan. When he was a baby, he was experimented on, which messed up his mutation. Uh, Number two, we see a flashback to before he joined the Brotherhood, Magneto 
saves him from a mob in Manchester, England. And then basically there's a passing comment about how Magneto dressed him as a court jester afterward, which is fascinating. Uh, Number three in that same series, Toad says, I started taking Ritalin and now my mutations aren't fluctuating all the time. I used to shift appearances all the time, but now that I'm taking Ritalin, it's stopped, which is fascinating. Uh, and then the final one, there's a, a, a later in Uncanny, the high evolutionary cancels mutant powers across the entire planet briefly. I don't know if you guys remember that run. And Toad immediately looks kind of like a like a kid off the cover of Tiger Beat. He's like, oh, my God, without my mutation, I'm so handsome. Look at me. Uh, so there's four random Toad facts. There's more complexity to this character, but I don't think writers have done a lot with him over the years. Uh, let me cover the next five pages briefly. We'll go over this fast. We go back to the casino where they realize that this man has been cheating in the game. Uh, his name is uh, uh, Mr. DeSalvio. Uh, and <laughs> Hank Pym shrinks down to ant size and gets a bunch of ants on the table. So that they, this guy's using a magnet to cheat the game and they get the magnet out of his pocket so they can fuck him up a little bit. And there's a moment, this is my favorite part of the whole issue perhaps, there's a moment where there's ants all over the casino board and here's these two off off uh, panel dialogue boxes. Philbert, there's ants on the roulette table. And he says, don't bother them, Wilma. Maybe they'll bring us good luck for a change. <laughs> Maybe my favorite thing in the entire issue with uh, this little scene of Philbert and Wilma. Uh, DeSalvio gets exposed and Wasp and Giant Man, or uh, Goliath, I mean, are off to respond to the, uh, the distress call from Quicksilver and the Scarlet Witch. And as Wasp shrinks, she tragically realizes that only her dress is allowed to shrink with her. It's made of unstable molecules, but her fur coat is not. She has to leave it behind. And Goliath says, well, you should count yourself lucky. Some lucky lady's going to find it here. Uh, We then switch over to Olympus, where Hercules is looking fine in his harness and skirt and his little rappy boots. He has shaved his (laughs) face. That's not something we often seen. Uh, And he has discovered that the Promethean flame of Olympus has gone out. There's a villain, which we will later learn is the random character Typhon. Uh, Typhon has extinguished the Promethean flame, which has sent all of the Olympians into another dimension. And Hercules vows revenge. Really, the the only thing we need to comment on is how good he looks here. (laughs) And then we can move (laughs) on. Uh, We see Hawkeye, the Wasp, and Goliath gathering back at the mansion and realizing that their allies have been kidnapped by Magneto. Uh, a giant or Goliath says Magneto, but he's the greatest enemy of the X-Men, to which Wasp says, their monopoly on him is over, handsome. When he captured Wanda and Pietro, he took on the Avengers as well, and you know it. Uh, and then lastly, we go over to Garrett Castle, where Magneto has made his base. Dane Whitman has broken out of his cell. Norris is still imprisoned. And Whitman makes himself into a room full of fancy equipment, and then starts thinking about how his uncle, Nathan Garrett, the original Black Knight, left all this stuff to him after he died in battle with Giant Man. So that kind of carries into our next section. But as we wrap up these five pages, uh, I think the most relevant stuff is just the idea of Wasp saying, Magneto's ours to fight now. Uh, The rest is kind of all (laughs) Avengers-centric. Uh, Any comments, especially on how good Hercules looks that anyone would like to (laughs) with me on? Any any comments on pages six through 10 before we move forward? Um, uh, (laughs) I think in this one, I, the only thing that stood out to me was, again, we we talked about who doesn't like Janet. 
the line that with the, the caption of um, when she said that we're off to fight Magneto. And then the caption, it was something like, there's more grim words from the unlikely lips of the oft frivolous wasp. <laughs> it's so ridiculous. I was like, when is she frivolous in this? <laughs> wasp is so silly and fun. Whereas Jean in the early books is impressive sometimes, but mostly boring. I love the Wasp. It's 60s Wasp is my favorite Marvel female. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Roy Thomas um, is I gotta a, say, I, Oh yeah, sorry. I was just like, Roy Thomas is like all microaggressions <laughs> against yeah. him, like through this entire thing. Yeah, but he's always like that. I swear to God, he's always like that. And I was going to counter your Hercules is hot with a Janet Van Dyne is hot because Janet is looking real good here. I don't want to take away from Hercules because I think that for those, for those who participate, like he's a hottie and he looks like movie Hercules right now, right? Like he's definitely like Hercules of the haunted world style right now. Yeah. And um, yeah, I guess everybody looks good except for Pem. Pem looks, he shows up whenever she's like, oh God, I lost my mink stole. He has like no sympathy for her, which is always how he is. And I'm just like, this is why Hank. <laughs> like, Pem is look, an asshole. You're just <laughs> yeah. like, you look through and you're just like, this is why she mm-hmm. leaves like you know it's it's a long process that makes her be like oh this is like an ancient dude but uh <laughs> oh my god real housewives you- real housewives of salt lake or sorry of the marvel universe i said salt lake city that was the last franchise real housewives of the marvel universe featuring janet van dyne like she has to be the first casting choice he shows yeah. up and throws his arm over her shoulder all like <laughs> and it's just like oh my god <laughs> Yeah, not, not comforting the fact that she's like has to leave behind something that she cares about. He's like, oh no, don't worry about it. Doesn't it doesn't matter like, to him. Like, yeah, no, it didn't matter to him at all. He was like, you, you can go shopping for another one. You'll be fine. Like, I'm horrified so by this man. <laughs> this is this is not a good relationship at all. No. <laughs> no. no. And this is the best uh, days of it. Like <laughs> this is fight. Hank Pym not only created Ultron, who has gone on to murder billions, but you learn in Kurt Busiek's much later Avengers that he based Ultron's brain off of his own. Like, there's a dark side to this man. He's not okay. He's not well. No. <laughs> no. Their, their pending wedding issue is one of the weirdest issues of a comic I've ever read, but... Did you get a python and a cake? That's is that's what I was gonna say. The circus of crime does show up, so it's worth it. But <laughs> I, was saying, oh, I need to go read this. Oh, it's great. I think it's Avengers number 30. Oh, that's off the top of my head. Uh Hussein, what was you what were you gonna say a moment ago? Oh, I, I was gonna say um the, the one X-Men related plot point to the Black Knight is that it's uh Dane's experimentation that sends a magnetic signal that allows Magneto to come back home. So it's all the Black Knight's fault <laughs> that Magneto's allowed to come back. But now I'm obsessed with the Real Housewives of Marvel. Can we cast Madeline Pryor as well? Yes. Emma Frost would belong, except she's never going to marry. Right, exactly. Mm-hmm. I mean, she would be the star cast, but... Uh, I think North Star can fit. He's married. <laughs> <laughs> but then it can't be Real Housewives, right? You know, then it's... That's yeah, true. He, House, yeah, House North, Star, is... North Star will leave his husband at home in a minute. Like <laughs> <laughs> because I'm off. Bye. We'll see you later. Oh, we can we can cast Crystal. Crystal would fit well. Yeah. Yeah. 
My favorite. <laughs> My favorite horror. Is there person. anybody we could cast who's currently married? Oh goodness! Uh, uh, <laughs> Jessica Jones, perhaps. Yeah. Ooh, Ooh, yeah. Um, they would have to beep her a lot, though. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, Medusa. Medusa can always fit too, of course. Yeah, Medusa. We know Kitty can't marry a thing. Like she has a, like Kitty can't marry a Peter to save her life. <laughs> I was about to say, she ever dated anybody not named Peter? No. <laughs> Rachel. <laughs> Rachel, yes. That is true. No. Yeah, that's true. I don't, yeah, I don't know who else is married. Like, I mean, Storm was married. Um, it's like Sue. Her. It's got to be Sue Storm, right? Yeah, Sue. Yeah, yeah. Sue yeah. gets to show up to something in yoga pants, just chilling. <laughs> we find out how fun Sue is whenever she's uh has female friendships at all <laughs> <laughs> okay andre walk us through the next five pages 11 through 15. and we yeah, can uh, yeah, everybody we... everybody keep the the housewives question in the back of your brain we'll do a casting <laughs> call at the end um yeah these are really quick because it just uh continues the idea that uh dane's grandfather um his experimenting with his armor allowed him to kind of i guess have a come to Jesus moment when he almost died from it um, and realizes that he's been wrong and the only person that can save him is Dane. So he calls Dane, he has, tells him, he's like, look, just take everything that you know from me and just make everything better. Um, you know, use my research for good instead of evil and do something different than I would have. So Dane takes it upon himself that he wants to change his, not only his legacy, but change his grandfather's name for good and then decides to become the Black Knight. So here, we see uh, him go into the technology behind it. So he finds the Lance beam that he doesn't understand why it's there, but he's going to use it anyway. <laughs> and also the fact that he had learned somewhere over the course of some months, because it was a very quick caption, that he learned to mutate another horse. So instead of having a black Pegasus, he has a white Pegasus now and that he's training and somehow created out of nowhere in the basement of this castle. Um, and then that's science, <laughs> science yes. <laughs> and then finally decides to put on the mask and the rest of the outfit to become the Black Knight. And his first order of business is the fact that he has to find the Avengers um, because he believes that something is wrong and he believes that it's his destiny to change what the Black Knight was, even though the Black Knight was one of the main Avengers villains not too long ago. So I, can I just say really quickly when he jumps on the horse and it flies into the sky, his thoughts are this horse is flying a bit awkwardly now for up till today. I've only let him walk. Thank heaven. He's not a bucking Bronco because it's a long way down from here. <laughs> so yeah. Like, again, you have to love the dialogue of this era. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, so we see him going through, I think, it looks like he's underground and going through the tunnels instead of just taking this horse and flying um, to find the Avengers. And then we go back to Magneto beating on his children some more, um, hoping that they're going to change their mind with Wanda basically saying, hey, you know, after you beat us, we're not going to join you. So you might as well just like kill us right now because we're not going to do it. <laughs> um, and then, of course, Toad is like, hey, I'm here. Don't worry about them. I'm the loyal one. And then Magneto's not having any of it. And then like bops him over the head. Um, just is really pissed off at everything and just leaves Wanda and Pietro up on a wall and decides that he's going to uh, do something drastic 
And the fact of the matter is that he believes that the Avengers, who he's never met, has been a thorn in his side um, because they have basically taken his teammates away from them. So he decides to get into his, <laughs> this, this is such a weird thing for me, that he was able to construct a supersonic cruiser that is powered by his powers, which I don't know why he would just not fly himself because he can be self-propelled by his own power, by his own powers, but we still have this ship. Um, so he is on his way to Avengers Mansion and as the Avengers, as they're doing it, they're not really paying attention, but somehow, Jarvis is able to spot this thing or this shadow that's coming towards them. And it turns out that it's Dane on his way to meet them. And unfortunately, since he didn't call first, they think that they're under attack. So uh, Barton just decides to say, hey, I, you know, I'm not no slouch and I can see from far away. And that looks like the Black Knight, maybe on a different horse, but he's coming at us and we have to stop him. So um, we have Bart basically trying to take down Dane and Dane trying to explain, hey, I'm not here for this. I'm not trying to fight you guys. I'm here to like give you some information. But in the fights, something happens and, uh, you know, more wackiness ensues. Magneto is such an asshole in these few panels. He's like punching Quicksilver across the face. He's kicking Toad in the ass. Like he's just, woof. this guy's not okay. <laughs> no, he's angry. He's literally angry. He's like, I mean, I don't understand it. Like, you're Magneto. Go find other evil mutants. Like, why is it just these <laughs> these guys that you have to concern yourself with? Like, go find more. Uh, I, it, it dawns on me as as we're talking here, Magneto has an East German accent. Pietro and Wanda have a transient accent. And Toad has a British accent, right? Like, uh, mm-hmm. I, I'd have to, like, reread them all in my mind. But they <laughs> these are uh, these are characters not from here. No, no. And I, I used to think that I would, every time I would read Toad, it would sound like a Doctor Who character to me. <laughs> like one of the doctors he sounds like to me. So Hussein, you recently spent four hours doing Magneto with me. What do you think's happening for him here? I think it's whenever the Avengers get a hold of Magneto, they just turn him into a right bastard. And I don't think that's, uh, you know, I think they don't know who Magneto is. It's the complex anti-hero, right? He's not a villain, he's an anti-hero. And, uh, you know, yeah, I, I but in universe, I think they're still trying to figure out who Magneto is. They want him to be the angry dude, right? Because the bad yeah. guy's got to be angry. Yeah. And I do know that he is the villain of the X-Men. They know that much. They don't know exactly who he is. I'm trying to picture uh, if we're using like character continuity stuff, right? He's had these visions for Moira about all the shit that's going to happen to the planet. And he's been stuck off planet on the stranger's world for a while, completely unbidden. And he's rushing back and immediately like trying to get his old plans back. Like I need my brotherhood back. I need to do all this shit. Otherwise the world's going to end. And we're going to see him next issue, go to the United Nations and demand that mutants be given a country, which is very in character for him. So this abusive Magneto, maybe there's like a sense of desperation under the surface to try to latch on to uh, this attempt to save mutant kind. Uh, it doesn't justify his assholery, but maybe right. it gives him some motivation. But, you know, if you want to do it that way, Chad, if you want to come at it that way, I think the other thing is I think he's got a real sense of betrayal because we don't have any other mutants in this universe yet, right? Our, our world of mutants is relatively small. And so he's got a small handful and, you know, he feels betrayed. You know, and it's funny because Toad is like, I won't betray you, Master, I won't betray you. And he's like, I know, that's why I'm kicking you in the ass. And he still wants Quicksilver and Wanda because they betrayed him. 
Well, and if we take his chronology just before this, he tries to recruit the stranger. The stranger sends him to another planet. Magneto escapes, leaves Toad behind, comes to the X mansion, and he kidnaps the the parents of the the, the angel, the Worthingtons, and then tries to use their genetic material to build himself a mutant army. But the stranger pulls him back again. So like he's uh he's had some upsets recently in his plans. I I kind of get his rage when I put it into context. I guess. Uh, Sarah, did you have any thoughts here on this section? It's really funny. I mean, he, <laughs> sorry, I mean, it's abuse, so it's like not funny, but it is funny <laughs> because Pietro has one hand free, one hand not, and then Magneto just walks up and is like, and like punches him in the face while he's like <laughs> tied up. Wanda is literally just like, look, you've got to see reason, man. Like, we've been doing this. Like, we stayed with you when we didn't want to before. They have, like, the history of, like, we tried to make things work with you because she did in those early X-Men issues. She tries so hard. He's obviously terrible. And Pietro's like, we should get out of here. And Wanda's just like, he saved our life. Like, we should try to be loyal. And so here she's just like, look, man, the ship has sailed like <laughs> you've got to <laughs> you got to move on and she's being like pretty reasonable i think and then he turns around and he's like and like just kicks toad in the face but then it says wop which is like a great sound effect ps and then before whenever he hits pietro it goes thock so i'm enjoying the sound effects quite a bit again it's abuse so like abuse is very serious but uh <laughs> right here i mean it's just hard to take him seriously because he's so over the top he's just like shut up god and i just find that really fun because we really yes i was gonna say we don't see this side of magneto that much but i just read trial of magneto and this is it's it's him like it's it's really part wrong, of his right? psychology it's him. yeah it's him yeah it, <laughs> it's, it's, it's him. yeah it's his frustration it's his the thing that he's been trying to do for the longest he just is thwarted at every attempt because he it's the people he surrounded himself with. Like it literally just comes down to that. And like, I remember, and again, this is my Cyclops moment when he went to Cyclops, like, Hey, you did it. When I, when I couldn't do it, you got us all together. You got us to like kind of rally um, together and just like rise above. And you think that that is a noble intention, but he just went about it such a dastardly way. We're gonna see. We're gonna see shortly in another issue that he makes Toad wear a metal belt so that it's easier for him to beat Toad up, <laughs> and toss him around the room with it. And Toad's like, "Okay, I mean, if you like, we'll go to the movies with me." <laughs> like, we yeah, we, and it's just like no. when we brought that up in the Magneto trial, someone was like, "Toad likes it. He asked to wear the yeah, belt. He does. He does." <laughs> Uh, Sarah, will you take us through the last five pages? Tell us how the issue wraps up. <laughs> yeah, I would love to, because for me, this is the best part, other than the Janet Van Dyne part earlier, because that's kind of hard to beat. Pretty much any time she shows up is my favorite. But I'm going to say, if you are a fan of um, sound effects like I am, this, this stint, this is A-plus stuff here. We've got uh hawkeye shoots a bow and it goes the wang like all wild and then there's a arrow and it's like whiz and then there it like gets he deflects it and it goes whack and then the next crack like this is really fun word panels um so <laughs> the avengers are hilarious this is before the avengers because you know the beginning of the avengers they're this big heavy hitting team and then everybody left everybody was like i'm out of here i'm not doing this anymore and so this is kind of 
all of the people who like, you know, I'm not, they become heavy hitters along the way, but they're all kind of a loosely assembled group, right? Avengers assemble loosely. So <laughs> you have Hawkeye as this kind of de facto leader, which doesn't even make sense. I would never follow Hawkeye into battle, but he just points in the sky and is like, look, there's like that guy on a horse with wings. We should just shoot at him. So like <laughs> they start shooting at him. And uh, of course, this is also Dane Whitman before he gets to where he needs to be as a person. So, you know, like later they, they develop him a little bit more, but here he's pretty basic and he does, uh, those fools, <laughs> which is like what I'm going to say if somebody's shooting at me. Right. Um, <laughs> you fools. But then of course we have Pim, uh, Pim's like that settles it because he, he deflects and the arrow goes and they're just like, this guy's so aggressive, <laughs> which is so funny to me because it's like, he really is just flying towards them and they're just like, Looks like he wants to fight. Better shoot him. And then they shoot at him. And then he like deflects it. And they're just like, oh, man. Oh. <laughs> so they go back to just like, all right, double down. We're taking this guy out like right now. So <laughs> then you have Pim who's just kind of like, hold up. Like, maybe I could do this in like a sneakier way. And he's like, what is it that he says is something like, oh, I I was wondering what Pim can do about this. And Hawk well, I was, are- was going to note really quickly right before that, the wasp bumps into his power lance and makes it go off. Like it yeah. shoots the chimney. She bumps it. And he's like, and oh, no, like, he's shooting at stuff <laughs> like the whole time. They just keep like blaming everything they're doing on the Black Knight, which I think is really funny. Yeah, but what <laughs> but what Pim and Wasp do here is like pretty savage, actually. Yeah, keep yeah. Going. yeah, they're wild. I'm just like, oh, you bring out a bad side of each other, and we see that more as time goes on. But <laughs> there's like Pim just being like, oh, let's see what I can do, and Hawkeye is literally like, yeah, I've been wondering what you can do. <laughs> It's just like, what is this team? (laughs) Wanda and Pietro being around, you would think that there'd be less arguing, but that is not the case. So Hawkeye, like, continues to attack this guy, and then he snags, like, an arrow onto his saddle and is, like, hanging underneath of him. What's the plan? What is the plan? So (laughs) then he attacks him like grabs his bow and is like taking him out and like the whole time the black knight's just like i don't know (laughs) (laughs) well and right and right before that sarah pim and wasp summon like a cloud of flying ants and wasps to attack the guy they're like like, just so asshole (laughs) like holy shit what are you doing can you imagine you're just like oh i better go get the avengers they'll know what to do and then like they attack you with a swarm of wasps like or whatever this but i love nuts. it he's got insecticide in his lands right like mm-hmm. the black right. right. yeah, it's like i've got insecticide i got this so don't worry and right. <laughs> pops it out and it like points it at the camera like it's time this is personal so then <laughs> he knocks hawkeye down right and then basically there's this like i don't know fights are so chaotic sometimes so it's kind of hard for me to say there's somebody almost gets crushed i guess <laughs> none of this needed to happen and that's like what's so wild about this but it's they eventually are he does like a nice thing right like they get him they're about ready to like but then he's like no, I'm still a good person. I'm going to help and like make sure that this person doesn't get crushed to death because you all decided to like run up and attack me. And they're just like, oh, no, you seem like you're pretty cool, actually. Um, 
<laughs> so then they become friends, I guess. Um, but what's also really funny is whenever the Black Knight takes off, literally the last line of this comic is Wasp being like, I bet he's hot. I bet if he like took that mask off, he'd be smoking hot. <laughs> kill him. Like he just wanted to be your friend. Was there Black- details that I missed on this? Because I feel like this well, is and a then chaotic just right, fight. Just that right at the end, Black Knight's like, you know what? I came here to warn you about Magneto, but fuck you guys. I'm off by myself. Uh, he uh-huh. later, of course, joins the Avengers. And for more recent, uh, for more recent readers, we got to see that special that was like between the X-Men and the Black Knight by Cy Spurrier. Uh, where they turn into those crazy demon versions of themselves. Um, and Black Knight has a daughter who's a mutant, they just revealed. So there may be some more stories down the yeah, line. Yeah, I'm saying you missed a lot, yeah. <laughs> I, I missed that. Oh. Okay. Yes, he he has a daughter um, that he d- was not aware of. Um, and that she is currently... The new, questions. Yeah, she's currently <laughs> the new Black Knight. So he's found a way to... Um, Essentially, he found a chair that was made from the ebony blade. So he's kind of using it like a hive thing. So he kind of sits there and like is mission control for her. So she goes out and does all the missions and he's basically sitting in this chair and it's got a mystical connection. So he's like aware of like everything. Yeah, the new the new Black Knight character, uh, her name is Jackie, but she goes by Jax and her last name is Chopra. So Jax Chopra is a new mutant character that we may see. I mean, Spurrier is doing a whole book in Legion of X, so we may see this character there. Yeah. yeah. Uh, uh, thoughts on these last few pages with this crazy battle with the Avengers and, and Black Knight? Do you guys have fun? I have, I have one word. Arrow poon. I don't know why that was a thing, <laughs> but <laughs> but it was the arrow poon that uh, that you know Clint shot at Dane that was going to be effective for no I don't know what reason, but I, I'm assuming it was to bring the horse down. Like I I don't know if that was <laughs> the plan, but I'm assuming that it was to bring the horse down. I mean, the only thing that slightly lands in their favor is they had a Black Knight character who was fighting them as part of the Masters of Evil, right? So they see a Black Knight shoot coming toward them in the sky. I, but yeah, they totally jumped the gun here to the point where civilians are endangered. This is not the Avengers at their finest. No, and also he was like, I don't. He was like, I don't even know you guys. Like, who are you? I was like, <laughs> he's like, I'm here for the Avengers, and it's like these these clowns. Like, what are you doing? So next issue, we get some great stuff with Quicksilver and the Scarlet Witch leaving the team and rejoining the Masters of Evil. So spoilers, but you'll see when we get there. Uh, And then there's a big crossover with the X-Men right after this, which is why I wanted to take the time to do this Magneto story rather than jumping into the X-Men and having to explain, okay, so there's these three issues of the Avengers where, you know, blah, blah, blah. Uh, But I think this is kind of crucial for the continuity in the 60s to look at the characters. Uh, We also see Toad going through some pretty big changes shortly after this. Uh, So we'll just do a dot, dot, dot here as he uh, as he is tired of Magneto's abuse eventually. Um, anything that stood out, stands out that you guys wanted to bring up as we kind of wrap up our summary of this ridiculous issue? <laughs> oh my God, the Adventures scene, are dysfunctional. Right? They're I, I, so dysfunctional. Yeah. They're so, the X-Men always get dragged for being dysfunctional and for being a soap opera. And then you read the Avengers and you're like, what is this? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Almost all the X-Men's problems are just because nobody picks up a phone. This is like, you all need family therapy. You all just need to sit down in a circle and talk it out. Yeah, I think um, my favorite part was when um, 
<laughs> the civilians saw Clint and they're like, hey, let me get your autograph. And he's like, I'm not, I'm not paying attention to you. They're like, fine, we didn't want you nowhere. You're not a good one. You're not one of the Avengers we actually want. We were just giving you a bone. Like, oh <laughs> uh, i love that i could every every time we record an episode we're bringing in strangers and like leaving his friends and just laughing our asses off the whole time this was a really really great time uh when we conclude with avengers 49 next time on gray malcolm lane we get to and i'm so honored to be able to uh announce this here i get to interview uh one of my biggest heroes in comics of all time who's uh ann nascenti uh, and we're going to be joined by Connor Goldsmith next time. And so I'm thrilled we get to, to it, so this three issue Avengers run is Tony Isabella, Hussein Rashid, and Anna Shanti. And I'm just sitting back in my life and going, what the hell is happening right now? Because this is amazing. <laughs> uh, you guys can find uh, me online anytime. Feel free to chat. Um, and for those of you that are on this podcast directly, you're welcome to add me on my personal social media. But for people listening, I do keep my own social media private because I've got kids. Uh, where can people find each of you online? And what do we have to look forward to coming up in your uh, cosplay or writing or podcasting or publishing? Uh, let's go in the order of uh, Hussein, Andre, and then Sarah again. Great. Hussein Rashid. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Yankee, I-S-L-A-M-O-Y-A-N-K-E-E. And on my personal website, HusseinRashid.com. And uh, I don't know what I'm working on. I'm working on lots of different things. I don't know what's going to come out next, but uh, check my website and it'll show up there. Awesome. All right. Um, so you guys can find me online, socials uh, for Instagram and Twitter. It's just talk nerdy to me, um, but it's spelled very differently because, you know, as handles go. <laughs> so it's a T-A-L-K-N-R-D-Y, the number two M-E. Um, I also am a co-admin of a Facebook uh, group for that's predominantly X-Men related. Um, it's called the New Xavier Institute for Higher Learning. Um, so that is always fun because we go into uh, vast details of the X-Men experience. And also since it is a predominantly black and queer space, how those things intersect. So that is a very fun venture. But as far as anything else that I'm working on, just having fun guest appearing on podcasts, I am actually in the process of prepping myself to do a new cosplay, which is a 3D printed war machine, which I'm really, really excited for. Um, so yeah, that, that's it for me. Andre also posts some of the thirstiest content that I love to follow on the internet. Always, always, that too. <laughs> and Sarah. Yeah, sorry, I was like very distracted by the idea of 3D printing war machine. I was like, wow, that's, I'm looking forward to seeing that. I have to, so, always see Iron Man. It's like literally every con every convention is Iron Man, Iron Man. Like, but where's war machine? Like, let's let's give him where's some- Where's Rhodey? Let's give Rhodey his flowers. How about that? <laughs> it is time. <laughs> 3D, 3D printing has made it possible. Mm -hmm. um, so I am Sarah Century. You can follow me, Sarah Century, on Twitter for mostly comic book takes and sometimes updates about I have so many pets, so I just talk about my pets a lot. And I also do, of course, Bitches on Comics, which you can follow at Bitches on Comics, same. And uh, Decoded Pride, which is the queer speculative fiction anthology. And we're going to be doing actually a narrative horror podcast coming up. So I think this podcast is where I am announcing that because you said it's going to go up on May 3rd. Mm -hmm. or right, right around May 3rd. Yeah. 
that it's true. This is the first public announcement other than probably on my Twitter, but <laughs> that about uh, Tales from the Sapphire Bay Hotel. So you're going to be able to check that out. It's not airing until September, but we're doing promotional work for it now. And it's just a narrative horror podcast with a bunch of queer writers. And it's scary. It's about a hotel. Uh, last thing I'll say as we're wrapping up, we have the trial of the blob coming up shortly after this, which is going to be incredible. We put some great content together. Uh, so check us out there if you, uh, if you are interested in doing so. Thank you, everybody. We will see you back here next time on Grey Malkin Lane. Thank you so much for listening to Grey Malkin Lane. I'm pouring a lot of time, labor, and love into this podcast, and I truly hope you are enjoying it. We're seeking to create a unique space here, and I'm really proud of what we've put out so far and really excited about what we have coming up. Grey and Lane is recorded and edited at a private studio in Salt Lake City, Utah. Music and editing are done by my husband, Michael Bell. Grey and Lane can be found on Twitter at Grey P, P like podcast, and on Instagram under Grey and Lane. If you're enjoying our work, help us spread the word about this unique podcast. Please leave us a good review wherever you listen, and check out our bonus content and fan engagement on Patreon. We'll see you back here next episode on Grey and Lane.